Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You can buy really good quality Swiss rolls. You can buy very good custard. You A witch! Burn <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Bake Down Podcast. I am Sarah, and I'll be taking you through week nine, our semi-final French week for series four. And with me, as always, we have the lovely Jane, Dan, and Howard. Now, straight away, guys, what did we think of semi-finals French week? I really enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was a, a lot. I'd like to have done this one. It, it, lots of wonderful, wonderful bakes. I liked the Charlotte Royale, actually, I think. Very appropriate for the coronation coming up. Perhaps we could all make a lovely Charlotte Royale. I think Ian has a class for one of those at some somewhere, does he? Or has done? We can, we can make simple ones, guys. You don't have to make everything. You can buy a lot from the supermarket. <laughs> and I love the canapes. Would have liked to have done that. Um, and, and the opera cake. I'm yeah, what's not to like about this episode? I thought it was lovely. Yeah, it was a great selection of challenges, absolutely. I was, to be honest, a little bit horrified by the idea of the canapes. I think that's something I would have really struggled in, but I think I would have enjoyed doing the opera cake, and I think I would have done a serviceable job with the Charlotte Royale, so uh, probably just a signature that would sent me into a downward spiral. But it looks like they all did quite well, actually. I don't think there was a really a particularly bad signature amongst them. Although I was intrigued and horrified in equal measure by the macaron with Stilton in. Oh, me too. And I just, I wanted to know how you felt about that because with, I couldn't understand. I rewound it a couple of times with a macaron, regular sweet macaron, just with Stilton in. I think they were walnut, weren't they? Because so, it was supposed to be Stilton and walnut macarons. So presumably the nuts in the macaron were, were walnut. But I would imagine... It's still got the sugar in there, yeah. I think it was sweet because Paul mentioned something about the the Stilton uh, really cutting through the sweetness. Mm. He did say that at one point. So I think, I believe they were just genuine macaron, macaron yeah. Yeah. shells. Oh, oh, that annoyed me. 
This was a 36 canapes, 12 shoe, 12 pastry and 12 of choice in two and a half hours. But yes, this was Becca's signature, so let's get straight into it. She made some Stilton and Walnut Macarons, uh, beetroot and salmon shoe puffs with horseradish creme fraiche. Uh, that was a lot of eshers. Um, and Welsh rabbit tartlets. So what did we think of the rest of them? Well, the Welsh rabbit was pretty obvious, wasn't it? You could tell she was going to go with that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still really hung up on these uh, Stilton macarons. I was thinking what I might have done was maybe use like a Roquefort or something, something a little bit softer. I could have smushed up maybe with a little bit of quince paste or something and sort of piped that in. But I didn't think the, the disc, I think Paul was right. I don't think the disc of Stilton really made much sense. And it sort of also didn't really hold it together particularly well. But I feel a little bit sorry for Becca because I think the, the standard of the others was so high that it made her seem a little bit sort of basic in comparison. But actually, I thought they were good. I, you know, I'd have been happy if I'd have made those, but just compared to all the others, they did look a little bit, little bit ordinary. I can't, can't quite believe I'm saying that. I absolutely agree. I, I, even if she wanted Stilton, I, I don't think I would have chosen a macaron, to be honest. I, I don't like too much sweet in the wrong um, course, if you like. I like a, I don't like too much sweet and savoury together. But I think you could have even whipped the Stilton with some cream cheese and piped it in, which would have made it a lot easier to eat, I think. it. Just the picture of it. I like the idea that you cut it out because it fitted neatly, but nothing else would have worked. They would have fallen apart while they were being eaten because there's nothing to stick them together. I agree, Dan. I think Paul Becker was just trailing in fourth place because the others were so good. Flavours aside, I hate beetroot, but um, flavours aside, I really don't <laughs> like beetroot. Really, ugh, and a beetroot jelly um, that Ruby did. But uh, aside from that, there's nothing wrong with Becker's Bakes. Apart from the macaron. Not at all. It seemed to be a case of nobody was bad. Nobody did a bad job, but just somebody has to be last. They have to nitpick a little bit, yeah. I think, I think there was a bit as well about the finesse, wasn't there? About the way the look of the others compared with Becker's. They, they didn't have the wow factor that perhaps some of the others did either. Yep. Visually, I thought Kimberly's looked incredible. I thought I thought Frances had the nice theme, which was good, and I particularly like her cauliflower scones. But overall, the look of Kimberly's, I just thought was absolutely magnificent. And I remember why I liked her so much when the original season was airing, because just some of her flavours and some of her presentation is just outstanding. And the confidence... Howard, was she, was she always so confident in the tent? Oh, yeah. Kimberly was in another league, really. I mean, just to be able to talk with such authority about, you know, not, not just flavours and ingredients, but techniques as well. I, I just thought, oh, my goodness. What, watching that episode, it reminded me how really accomplished she, she is, yeah. She had fantastic knowledge. I think that was something I wrote down, um, wonderful knowledge all the way through. So this was Kimberly's pea puree and parma ham short crust tarts, which just makes my mouth water saying that. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Crab and wasabi profiteroles and steamed buns with barbecue chicken. Those profiteroles were strange though, weren't they? Because they they were... Kind of like mini eclairs. Exactly. So the elongated profiteroles. Is that not an eclair? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe it is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're going to nitpick about words here, I think. But 
So can I ask Howard something? Because there was a comment comment from Becca. I just wanted to know what tension there was in the tent. Howard, don't give away any secrets. What happens in the tent stays in the tent and all that. But Becca said, oh, Francis takes it to all to another level. Planet Francis, where no one can hitch a ride to. I thought it sounded as though there was a bit of an edge there. Was there a bit of an edge at any time? No, we joked a lot, actually, over the weeks about... I mean, we 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 didn't necessarily call it Planet Francis, but Planet Frangipan sometimes. <laughs> you know, this was her own description, that, that she was on another planet, that she just had a very different approach to things. So... I don't think it was it was said with any you know hidden malice or anything like that. I think it was just an acknowledgement that Francis was in a wonderful little world of her own. Oh, I see. I just <laughs> thought I had to ask. More of an in joke that yeah. we didn't hear the beginning of. Maybe. Yeah, there's a lot of that in the tent. Actually, there's things uh, I remember in my season that sort of people didn't really understand or thought were weird, and they could they sort of harked back to previous conversations. So that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, some of her decorating, I can't get over her little cauliflower cheese scones. Oh, they were I thought lovely. they were incredible. Oh. It's again, and I, I say this often, but the sort of things I would never have thought to do just never would have even occurred to me, and it would have it worked visually. The texture made sense, and uh, yeah, I just thought that was wonderful. When I said, I think it was last week, wasn't it, that I tried Becca's focaccia, which was lovely, and at the same, I think it was at the same Good Food Show, Francis did did those scones, scones. And they were gorgeous, yeah. So again, that's one that I've I've tried. The uh, cauliflower, if I remember rightly, was kind of mixed with what's that cheese that's got? Is it rule or or whatever that's got sort of? Oh yes, um, or something like that that's got kind of herbs, garlic and, and garlic, green. yeah. And that combination of the cauliflower and the garlic and and a bit of herb was was ooh yummy. Oh, I used to love a rule. My yeah. mother used to buy that all the time. I had one for years. That sounds utterly delicious. So, yes, this was Francis's handshake Ooh. winning uh, canapes. She had some beautiful carrots, uh, Chantenay carrots with smoked paprika short crust filled with hummus. I love that. And she's like, you can have carrot sticks with hummus. I was like, oh, you're a genius. <laughs> she also had some beautiful shoe pastry tomatoes, uh, which I believed had a smoked trout pate and a beautiful red shiny glaze and uh, these fantastic cauliflower cheese scones. Scones. So what do we think scones. about... Scones. <laughs> scones. Hands up. Scones. 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 Uh, well... This is a north-south divide here. <laughs> I think I I must change depending on who I'm speaking to. Howard said scones, which I think gave I said me scones, permission to scones because I can't make my um, mind up. <laughs> see, I can't remember. I don't know. I'm confused. So, what did you think of Francis's handshake? There, I think this is not technically the first handshake we've seen. I believe there was a handshake in the previous the Ryan, season, yes, but yeah. just one, and it wasn't with Ryan, yes, and it wasn't really made a big thing out of. But I believe this is Francis's coining of uh, of the phrase Hollywood handshake. Do we think this was just something she said that the press ran with? She likes a bit of alliteration, doesn't she, our Francis? So yeah, I'm sure it was a d- deliberate choice in that regard. We owe a lot to the Hollywood handshake. It's become quite an icon of the show, so well done to Francis for giving it its official name. I was going to say there weren't any other handshakes this season, were they? So that was a real that was a real moment. 
And uh, Kimberly, I mean, I'm not sure it's all in the editing, but Kimberly looked a little bit disheartened in that moment, didn't she? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think it had, even at that point, I don't think it had the same kind of kudos, weight. I suppose. Yeah, yes, yeah, weight yeah. That, that it it has now. I mean, there was no reason why on this one Kimberly shouldn't have had a handshake as well, really, was there? But... Well, except he, he criticised the size of her oh, buns, that's true. didn't yeah. he? And said they were too big. And oh, something he said, crisp and dried out. What was that? Oh, no, that was a, that was a positive comment about the shoe. Yeah, mm. so I did watch this a couple of days ago. <laughs> crisp and dried out. You don't want any cake, but perhaps you do in a, a shoe. Yeah, I love the way they were wrapped up. Did they have a little bit of seaweed around them or something, like tying mm. them up? Oh, God, mm. so pretty. Mm. So pretty. So clever. Just so clever. Impressive to do it in that time as well, wasn't it? It's yeah. Like... Madness. I don't think we've talked about Ruby, though, have we? We haven't. So let's segue on to Ruby's canapes. She had some beetroot jelly on rye and poppy seed biscuits. Now, I know that's not Jane's favourite with the beetroot. She had some spinach and parmesan, and I think there was another cheese in there, quail's egg tartlets. Dan, close your ears for this one. Uh, shoe buns with goat's cheese. Mm, delicious. And caramelised <laughs> onions. Oh, Dad, don't make that noise on a podcast. Sorry. It's nice for people. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Obviously, despite the slight personal preferences there, what did we think of these ones? I thought they looked absolutely lovely, but I couldn't get what Paul was, was saying about these, that the shoe buns aren't quite domed enough. I thought they've got, they've got quite a nice shape to them. What was he looking at? I thought they looked all right. I don't know what he was talking about. Who was the one who egg-washed their shoe? Francis, I think. Was that? Yeah. Francis. What do you think about that? I don't know why you do that, actually, but she seemed to know. <laughs> I have no idea. I can remember if it was Ruby or Francis, but that's just one of those things I just thought, why on earth are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'll try it out one day. Probably not. Oh, it's Francis. It was Francis. I've written, I've written down egg-wash because I'm always trying to make my shoe behave itself, and it's only when you, Dan, say shoe means... Cabbage. And cabbage is a weird shape, so that's why a shoe always puffs up into some bizarre shape. So I'm I'm going with the weird shape and not trying to control it too much. But yes, I actually wrote it down. It was Francis who did the egg wash. Well, I thought Ruby's looked pretty nice and they were nice and crisp. I don't quite know what Paul was complaining about, but I suppose you do have to nitpick, don't you? He did a sort of quick turn on that, didn't he? So he said they're not domed enough and then he decided that they were his favourites. So it's like, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought they were a little bit harsh towards Ruby's presentation. I feel it was split into two. I think Francis and Kimberly were extra polished. I'm not talking about flavours, but theirs were extra polished, extra finished. And then I think both Ruby's and Becker's were maybe... Again, not bad, but just slightly less polished. So I think if you're going to criticise Becca for being not quite polished, I would also put Ruby in that category because I think theirs didn't have that extra level of finish. They were a bit more homely, but I still think they were good. Yeah. Oh, they were good. I totally agree. Uh, I just think it was time for Ruby to have a little bit of criticism. I mean, last time I... I think it was in the last episode that we did. I complained because Ruby seemed to have been able to do no wrong. You know, they seemed to see through any flaws. And this time I just thought it was fair. I thought Ruby's wasn't as brilliant as as the other two. And, and equally, Becca wasn't as brilliant as the other two. And I thought it was, I thought we had a lot of criticism this time, some of which really annoyed me. 
which will surprise you. But I, I thought it was fair. Co- I thought there were quite fair comments on this one, to be honest. Fair enough. I think the um, comments about her uh, key, mini quiche style, whatever thingies they were, tartlets, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, weren't particularly uniform um, and they were a bit half filled uh, because of the way that she'd done the egg. I thought that was a fair criticism, but I think if she'd have poached a little egg and put it on top, I don't think they would have liked that. I think they would have said, oh, it's not part of it. Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, think I agree. It, I think it probably should have been baked in. It was just maybe not the the best choice for uniformity. Yeah. Um, But I thought they would have been delicious. I think you're right. I think quite often the judges give comments about, oh, I would have done it this way. And then you think, yeah, but if it had been done that way, I don't think you'd have liked it. So you're just being being contrary, aren't you, really? Yeah. Absolutely. Plus, I would have loved to have seen a little station with, you know, what extra time did she have to poach 12 little quail's eggs? Like, that would have been so much more extra work for her. I don't think that's a fair comment at all. I don't think little eggs were coming on a train when you said, I would have liked to see the little station. (laughs) (laughs) An egg poaching station. (laughs) That's somewhere in Yorkshire, egg poaching station. Yes, it's it's a very small village. On the train of a model village. I can see it now. it would have helped for her with those eggs i think it was a tricky thing to do to make sure you get it baked and the eggs to be right and not hard in the middle and all that so i thought she had she picked a very risky um idea by putting in those little eggs but if you make almost a nest in your filling so that had the spinach and what have you come up the sides a bit so you had an indentation it would have kept it looking neater that's true Mm. Yes, so I think oh, it's very easy to say, isn't it? Uh, we, we've watched it and we're sitting at home and we've never done it. So um, <laughs> I, don't know, I, mean, I might nick the idea, actually, but maybe not the spinach. Well, we had a quite good signature challenge. Um, I don't think anybody suffered particularly badly. I think Becca's macarons with the slice of cheese were just were possibly the least favoured by the judges. I'm not going to go so far as to say anybody did anything particularly badly, but I believe, as Ruby said, you can't be mediocre at this stage. You know, any negative is going to actually pull you down quite far when there's so few people in the tent. I think Becca was just kind of fourth by default, really. I don't think hers were particularly bad. I think in any other week, with any other set of bakers, she'd have been doing very well, but it was just, it was a, a very, very strong signature. I agree. And and they did incredibly well in the time because two and a half hours was very tight for that challenge. And they all did incredibly well in the time. They did. Everybody got everything finished and it was a uh, it was a good start. And so we move on to our technical challenge, which, as we've discussed already, was a Charlotte Royale. Now, for those of you who have done Ian's uh, Charlotte Royale class with us, you guys will be smiling happily because you know exactly what it takes to make one. For those of you who don't know, it is beautiful slices of Swiss roll sort of moulded around the inside of a dish and filled with a lovely bavoir, which is a set custard. And I believe Mel and Sue said it was kind of like a brain, which, yeah, it it kind of is. <laughs> uh, and this was a two and a half hour challenge as well. I have made one. I have made one. I was, that was going to be my first question. Have you guys both made one? I take it you haven't, Jane. So when I was watching Bake Off back when uh, it originally aired, this was the, one of the first bakes that inspired me to actually make something from the show. And I've got to be honest, I made one and it was 
It was dreadful. It looks probably like rubies. It was a sea of bubble with just like a hint of swirl on the outside. But yeah, it was it was a really fun and complicated bake to make. And I think I would do a lot better job today. Although the arrowroot, I have to say, was very snotty and disgusting. And uh, I would probably try to find a different alternative because I didn't like that. It didn't feel good on the mouth, you know. No, I have never made Charlotte Royale, but I must admit I am going to. Because we're coming up to the coronation, aren't we? And, and to try and get away from this ghastly coronation quiche that... Oh, I think the chefs at Buckingham Palace have come up with. I'm not going to dinner there, Charles, so just take me off the guest list. <laughs> you know, what other royal things other than coronation chicken? And a Charlotte Royale actually would be a great dessert to make for sharing. So I think it would be a very good one to dig out for the coronation because you could cut you could cut sponge as well to sort of put some crowns in amongst your swirls. Anyway, you could get quite creative with your arrangement of your sponge, I think. And if you don't want to go to all the faff of making a Swiss roll, bakers, shut your ears because this is heresy. But if you don't want to go through all the making your sponge rolls, making your custard, because you're all a bit scared about making custard, as indeed you should be because it's a scary thing to do, you can buy really good quality Swiss rolls. You can buy very good custard. You a witch! Burn up! <laughs> Swiss rolls, no, really. I know. I know, but we have to say, if you're having a street party <laughs> and you're juggling half a dozen kids and six million sandwiches and a ghastly coronation quiche, then you could cut corners here and buy some good stuff. You know, we have, we're making this accessible. Charles is an accessible king. So you could cheat this for the coronation, couldn't you? You could you have to have put gelatin in it and, and you have to do a bit of mixing and arranging. But you could, you could make a beautiful one like Ian does and like they made in this technical, or you could do a cheats version. I think it's quite easy to do a Swiss roll. Somebody might have spotted me at some point in my life buying a Swiss roll, but if they have, I can't remember it. I'm sure... I'm sure I've only ever made Swiss rolls. I do remember when I was on Bake Off at one point, somebody once stopped me in M&S and said, uh, oh, just don't mind my husband, he's just looking at what you've got in your basket. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, just intrigued. So if there was a Swiss roll in there, I don't remember it anyway. But, but yeah, I think... um, I think it's a good idea to to make one for for a party. And I'm, I have to say, just going back to the actual technical challenge itself, what a good idea to split it over two days to actually mm. have mm. the second part on on the following day. I don't I don't think they do enough of that with technical challenges. It's a really good option. They did that twice in your series, doing starting something on one yeah, day and finishing yeah. on another. And I I don't recall, I don't even remember that that had ever happened, but I definitely haven't seen it on any other seasons. Do you remember? No, I don't. I thought it was brilliant and realistic because let's face it, we watch these programmes and we think, oh, we can do that in two and a half hours. And frankly, we can't do it in a two and a half hour class most of the time. When we want things to set, if we're doing a class, we will say, don't unmould it until tomorrow. When I do my tiramisu class, I say, here's one I prepared earlier and it's chilled for 24 hours. So, yeah, I think it it's much more informative as far as timings are concerned. If they do that, I thought it was I thought it was great. Does Ian put that gloop over the top of his? I, that arrowroot gloop looked 
vile, didn't it? I don't think it added anything to it at all. I was trying to think of what else I could put over it. It looks pretty, but the mouthfeel is quite unpleasant, in my opinion. Hmm, I agree. I think there must be something else you can do. What I would probably do, although it's more work, I dare say, is just create a syrup, put a bit of gelatin in it and paint that over. That's probably what I would do if, if I were inventing a Charlotte Royale. Aru is not a nice mouthfeel. And it has a slight taste to it, doesn't it, that I don't like terribly much. What, what is it used for? So it, it's like a thickener. So I use it sometimes for, like, if you want to create a low-calorie, like, this is like when you're on, like, a real diet, you can use it to sort of bread chicken instead of egg, and it's sort of very low-calorie oh, right. kind of... But it's not the most delicious. It's functional rather than delicious, definitely. No, it's something that Ian definitely doesn't use in the class. That really did really help the the brain look. <laughs> Just glazing it with goop on the outside. I was like, oh, I'm not sure I would have gone that far. So, yes, uh, I think everybody did reasonably well. I mean, obviously, Ruby's wasn't the neatest, but she got the Swiss roll made. It held, you know, we've seen worse technicals. So I think everybody did reasonably well. She also re- restarted hers, didn't she? Because she'd lined yeah. the bowl and then realised she hadn't put anything, any cling film in it. So picked it all out again. Cling film. Yes. Cling film. So, okay, so Jane, just coming at this from a practical sense, if you were going to make a Charlotte Royale, what would you do instead of cling film? Um, I would just line it with some non-stick baking paper. Or as long as you can get it out of your bowl, that's the thing you need to do. I suppose you could do it with foil, and I think it would stick to the foil a bit. I, and, and also you get this bumps and things in it. Well, you do with paper, but dampen down your paper a little bit, I think. Grease the bowl if you want to underneath, but I don't think there's any need... And then it'll come out. You just need something to get it to come out, really. And cling film, it makes me so mad. I know this was possibly, how many years ago, Howard, whenever it was. Ten. We were possibly a little less aware of single-use plastics than we are now. But they still do it in current series, don't they? And I want to shout at the television that we should be showing people better alternatives to using cling film. I know anybody listens to my comes to my classes now I bang on about cling film all the time and I've just had a post on Instagram that well it's had more likes than any of my bakes I'm not sure what that says about it with me hanging up my freezer bags that I wash and hang on the line to dry and I think people are very aware now of not throwing plastic away after a single use and I think this made me cross cling film makes me cross and i think in future series if anybody at bake off is listening we've had free from this and free from that let's have a free from cling film series please well i'm not quite as passionate about single-use plastics as you are but i was thinking that the charlotte royale must have been invented before cling film yeah sure so they must have used something other than cling film so yeah a paper or a cloth or something surely yeah, or a cloth, yes, or, or a muslin, yeah. but make it sure it's clean. So yes, our Charlotte Royale challenge was judged with beady eyes by the judges, and uh, I believe it was Ruby who came forth. Again, not necessarily the worst technical we've ever seen, but just not the best of this bunch, as, as Dan said, you know, fourth by default. Becca was third, Francis second, and Kimberly came first with her very first technical win, and uh, I believe Mary said we couldn't fault it. So pretty good comments there. Just a quick comment 
about Kimberly, going back to somebody saying how her technical knowledge was amazing. I didn't know that eggs started to set at 84 degrees and you shouldn't let your custard go above 84 degrees. That was a real bit of knowledge that I picked up there. I just make sure I stir it a lot and it's a low temperature, but oh gosh, she is quite incredible, Kimberly, isn't she? When I cook a curd, if you want to be sure, if you're using sort of a less acidic fruit like an orange and you want to be absolutely sure it's going to set, I take it to 82 I didn't know that the egg scrambled at 84. So I've been playing with fire all these years. Oh, um, danger. Ah. I know. <laughs> I live on the edge, me. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting knowledge from Kimberly there. Um, and I thought, actually, I might get in trouble for saying this, but I thought hers was probably better than the exemplary one, actually. I thought it was really, really marvellous. Yeah, I don't, I don't think when Paul said he would like Mary to make one for him next time he goes round to her house... I don't, I don't think she's going to. Is she? No. 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 <laughs> At one point on one of the benches, we saw a watch. Whose watch was that? And why were they allowed watches? I thought this was a big no-no in the tent. I wasn't allowed. No, we weren't allowed watches either. Howard, was this a thing in your season that you were told to not have? We certainly weren't allowed phones, but I don't remember there being a ban on watches. We were supposed to take them off and sometimes we forgot and then we were like, oh, we're supposed to take our watch off. But Ruby's was there on, mind you, she couldn't read it, could she? It was covered <laughs> in icing or flour or something. Which covered in laugh. flour. In our season, they made us take off everything, no watches. We weren't even allowed jewellery. I mean, we didn't see that naked season. I must have missed it. Free from good taste. (laughs) In the first week, I was even persuaded to take off my wedding ring because they were so adamant that they didn't want us to wear any jewellery. But then I was like, no, I am am wearing that. Thank you very much. Um, But yeah, they wouldn't let us take anything in. So a watch that was scandalous. Scandalous. (laughs) How times have changed. Also, I'd just like to get into a little bit of a debate. This is something that me and Howard have spoken about in uh, in previous classes. We talked about a the difference between a creme diplomat and a creme légère, and do you add gelatin, do you not? This seems to be a bit of a of an issue that nobody could really agree on. But a bavoir, it's a custard with gelatin with cream. Isn't that just the same as a and fruit? Oh, is that the difference? Mm, it's a f- that, ah. Can't you have a chocolate bavoir? Oh God! Someone Google it. Jane is on the case. I, d- I don't think it says it necessarily have to be f- have to be fruit. It's a cold dessert consisting of a rich custard set with gelatin and flavoured in various dot 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 dot. Open the uh, website, which I'm not going to do right now. So a custard with gelatin. Obviously, it's a flavoured custard. It could be a vanilla one, it could be chocolate, and there's a picture of a dolphin here as well, so it could be a dolphin-flavoured bavoir. It's just a Bavarian custard, isn't it? So presumably it's thickened with gelatin as opposed to thickened with flour, I would imagine. Well, it depends how you thicken your custard, I suppose. So, you know, if you technically, if you're worried about the stability of your custard, you might thicken that with flour or corn flour. Like, might you not? And then you put your cream in and then you make sure it sets with the gelatin. Did Ruby just pour the cream into the custard or did she whip it? I couldn't quite tell. She whipped it, but then it looked as if... uh, The idea, I thought, was to fold it in, wasn't it? But it looked as if she was just whisking whisking it. uh, So it it had no structure to it. But I think with the gelatin in it, it, 
They all seemed to set okay in any case, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, eventually, yeah, they were they were left overnight. So yeah, they uh, they they got there in the end. Oh, she might have added the cream when it was a bit warm. Yeah, maybe she might not have let her custard cool cool enough, and then any whipping would have just sort of melted, wouldn't it? So anyway, I think I would like one. It's everything I like: bit of sponge, bit of jam, bit of custard. I think it's delicious. Wonderful. But in the meantime, let's move on to some questions. Now, thank you again, everybody who has been sending in your questions. Keep doing so, as we only have one episode left. Uh, but we'd love to answer some more of your questions. Now, this is a question here from uh, Jaya in New York, who has sent us some questions before. So thank you so much for sending us some more. We have a few questions here, so uh, we'll just get started on these. Jaya says, after watching season four, I've moved on to season five and six to re-watch those. And I have a few questions. How much time elapses between the end of the baking time and the judging? It seems to be quite a bit based on the amount of cleanup that occurs. Don't things like ice cream melt during this time? Do they put items like that in the freezer for the duration? I think it depends upon the individual bit, but you're absolutely right. There's there's a lot of cleaning up. There's individual shots of the bakes that need to be taken before judging takes place. So I reckon it's about an hour or so, at least. So uh... I think more than that. In our season, when the signature finished, they would say, uh, right, do they, does this is go into the fridge or the freezer? Like, what do you want to do? And it would stay there while they cleaned up. And then for the showstopper, it would usually be you'd make the showstopper and then everyone would have a lunch break. Uh, that's typically how it was done in my season. And while they're having lunch break, they would do the beauty shots and everything else. So by the time we were looking, they're actually judging it, probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours. It was a long, long time. So when you do see somebody's showstopper melting, I mean, ice cream aside, obviously, and they're like, oh, I didn't have time to set. I'm like, well, it did. You obviously just messed up. It did. It did have time to set. It had an extra hour at least. But they do have to clean up. And luckily, they don't make us clean, do they, Jane? Oh, no, they don't. Thank goodness for that. I mean, I would have uh, been a nightmare, right? Especially those saucepans that I wrecked with caramel. I would have taken all day to clean that lot. Yeah, and at the beginning of the series, of course, when you've got 12 bakers, it takes a lot longer to clear up than it does at the end. So you might find you're sitting there having some lunch and you get hauled off to do an interview or hauled off to do your beauty shots and then you go back for another hour. I mean, there's a lot of waiting around, certainly in in the first five or so weeks when there are lots and lots of people there. But, it, I mean, it's all good time to have a good old chat. The trouble is you can't wander about because they keep you very much under wraps and corralled in the green room. Um, but oh no, I'd love to go back and do it all again. I'd even do the washing up. We've said that before, haven't we? Howard? We are going to go back and do all the washing up. We don't care. I'm white the benches. I do. I do appreciate that really subtle hint as well, there, Jane, about uh, what it's like to to at the end because you're the only one actually who's yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Always being shady. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that, Howard, but it's it's much quicker once you get to the final, guys. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh. Parker. 
but I think I have to say, Jane, I don't know if I would like to go back and do a whole season. I don't think I would, I would like to do a special, but I don't know if I could go back and do a whole season again. I think when you're looking at it through rose tinted glasses, all the red flags just look like flags, don't they? Oh, no, I definitely would. I, I loved every single minute of Massacrist. it. Except when they said, and the winner <laughs> is... Yeah, old Jane. That's the only well, let's move on to another question before another fight breaks out. You guys are feisty today. Sorry, I've um, had too much coffee. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Good to yep. know. Another question from Jaya here. On the Junior Bake Off, the children taste each other's technical challenges. Is that something that happens in the main show also? I realise Howard said they didn't get to taste each other's bakes in his season, but they did in later seasons. And is it only the signature and showstopper bakes that you get a taste of? And is it the technical as well? Oh, good uh, good question. Uh, no, we don't particularly taste the technicals, to be perfectly honest. As I remember... We do those at the end of the first day and everybody's just very happy to pack up at that stage and get back to the hotel and have dinner. Um, it's all running too late. So the technicals we really don't taste. I think we've said in my series, they used to bring a small amount of each bake into the green room so we could taste it if we wanted to of both the signature and the showstopper. To be honest, by the time you've got halfway through the series, you really don't want to taste anybody's bakes. You've just had enough really I've eaten too much sweet stuff I tended to try and eat the ones that got really good feedback and then the ones that really didn't get very good feedback nobody ate but uh, yeah I mean we could have eaten it if we wanted to and it sounds as though it's really exciting it's like it's saying I I had to judge a cake competition and other people came in to help judging and they were very excited that there were 24 Victoria sponges to taste. So I went, well, be careful what you wish for because it's not always fun. And by the time you've eaten a lot of cake during Bake Off, frankly, the idea of eating yet another piece of mousse cake or shortbread or something does not appeal greatly. It's true. When I go to a restaurant, people are always like, oh, do you want to try the cake? And I'm like, oh, not really. I spent my life trying cakes. Like, let's have cheese. Um, (laughs) But no, and uh, we didn't really taste the technicals. And I think it's because you don't maybe realise it when you're watching on TV, but it's a big operation and someone's in charge of moving all the bakers around and they get the shot of you leaving the tent and then they're like, okay, on to the next thing and they shuffle you up to do whatever's next. I think there were a couple of occasions where we dashed back in to try something but they were very unhappy about that they were like get out you're supposed to be going back to the baker's room you know so they uh they're running a tight ship and they want you to be where they've planned for you to be so no not really the technical we don't really taste those no lovely well thank you so much Jaya, for your questions for all of your questions and uh, please do keep them coming in as uh, we have our final episode next week you can send them in to the bake down at bakewithalegend.com or you can message us on social media. We are at Bake with a Legend on all platforms. Now, before we get into our showstopper challenge, we need to speak about our next bake along recipe class that we have coming up for you guys on the 30th of April. This is with the lovely Rosie Brandreth, and we will be tackling canapes. 
hopefully you guys will have the look that our four bakers had in the tent as we will be tackling savoury volivants and savoury mini Yorkshire puddings. So if you guys fancy a little bit of technical knowledge here and doing some fabulous savoury canapes, come on down to Rosie's Savoury Canapé French Week class on Sunday the 30th of April. And uh, don't forget, podcast listeners, to use the code PODCAST to get 10% off your next booking. So here we go, our showstopper challenge, which uh, this week was an opera cake with nice, clean, defined layers, I think Mary was looking for, in uh, two and a half hours. Everything in two and a half hours this week. Yes, what did we think of an opera cake for a challenge? Another one of Ian's classes, interestingly. He, he would have been good on this podcast. <laughs> we should have got him on to speak this week. We're good on the podcast. <laughs> um, maybe not. <laughs> you are all delightful. Some of us, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I think I would have enjoyed doing an opera cake. It's not something I do very often just because of the sheer complexity of it. It's just an awful lot to do. But yeah, I thought there were certain pitfalls in this, like putting in a tempered chocolate layer. I don't think, I mean, Kimberly put her tempered chocolate layer on the top, I think. So, uh, she sort of ended up with it all squishing in together. Normally, you just put a very thin one in the middle. Or maybe just a ganache layer. But yeah, I thought it was a bit of a shame, this challenge, because most of them looked great. But I feel like the flavours sort of seem to let everybody down. I think sometimes uh, you shoot for the moon and you end up just getting a little bit wrong. And maybe they should have gone for something a little bit more classic. If I was going to do an opera cake, I'd probably just do sort of chocolate and coffee or something, something like that. Just keep it nice and simple. I was so unsure about this week, obviously preparing the recipe. I'd originally planned, I think, to do an absinthe Ooh, uh, opera cake. Oh, how French. So French. Yeah. You know, green fairy mm. time type thing. And then I thought, oh, this is getting, I'm getting a bit too... Uh, Carried away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it turned into a sort of Carmen-style chocolate orange one instead, with, which uh, was was a bit more... That would have been safer. nice. Yeah, but I still well, I, I, there's no point in me regretting either of them because I didn't get you chance there. to do them. Did I? So. <laughs> do you think this is the pitfall with a challenge like this? An opera cake is a very specific thing, and if you are challenged to make a version of it, you look for ways you can change it rather than ways you can just do it well. Because it's the showstopper, we're looking for that little bit of pizzazz. You know, it's not the signature. This is the end. Do you think that sometimes people go a bit too far with that? Mm, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's like doing a tiramisu and not having any coffee anywhere near it. Why? It depends on the definition of the opera cake, doesn't it? When you had the lovely historical bit or going to talk to that gorgeous French chef. <laughs> It's coffee. It's coffee and sponge and ganache. I really didn't like Kimberly's, and it's not often I say that about Kimberly. I don't mind having passion fruit and lime in there, and I think I'm surprised nobody did a pistachio sponge actually, because I think that would have been quite nice and had a nice pistachio cream or custard in there as well. But the I oh God, well, I think this. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna. I, this is one of the challenges where I thought Paul was particularly unhelpful. He seemed to be staring them in the eye and at the beginning when they came up and said, so what are you doing? And finding fault with everybody's choices. 
he said to Ruby, why are you using saffron? It's going to, to be fighting with everything. Well, that's not very helpful. I mean, she's got her recipe. She's got everything on the bench. And I think it, it that wasn't very kind. And he did the same with Francis with the lavender. And you can think it and say it in the background. Say it to her side, but don't say it to the bakers who are already stressed out beyond belief because they want to get to the final. I thought he was very, very negative on this challenge. I don't know what has happened to him overnight, but he obviously didn't sleep very well. <laughs> They're talking about textures in the opera cake. Because so, oh, there's no texture. I'd like a bit of texture in the opera cake. There is no texture. It's in sponge. The it's <laughs> a soft, beautiful sponge. That you put your fork through, you don't need texture. You don't need a crispy layer. You don't need to put in, well, nobody put in fouillotine. But if you put a fouillotine layer, they'd go, well, the fork doesn't go all the way through it. There shouldn't be a crisp layer in the middle. And Kimberly putting in the tempered chocolate, I thought, was a no-no. I thought that completely gave you the wrong texture. It was way too thick. Way too thick, but also... Tempered chocolate in anything, it's delicious, of course, wrapped around a truffle or wrapped around another evening. If you do a chocolate collar, and I know I have form on not getting my chocolate collars right, so please don't try it in, dear listener. But if you put a chocolate collar in that is tempered, when you go to cut that collar or the cut that cake, it disintegrates because it's been tempered and I think there are times when tempered chocolate works brilliantly and times where you want it to be a little bit softer without any snap. I have to say uh, I know we're sidetracking a little but when I do a chocolate collar I don't temper the chocolate because I because otherwise it all splinters and shatters and you can't get a nice cut on it so I think while she tried to get a shine on it it, it was it was a poor choice anyway or rather a misguided choice. And it didn't work. It didn't look particularly shiny either. So I thought that was that was um, a big mistake. And I think, although the judging made it seem like Ruby did terribly, I think Ruby's was the only one that got sort of good, really good feedback on the taste and the textures. Like, it didn't look particularly great. And I think the mistake a lot of them made was they kept talking about even layers. And I think people put in too much buttercream and soft ingredients, and that's why it was all squidging all over the place. And I, I think when I make an opera cake, I uh, of the a couple of occasions I've made one, it's quite a thin layer of buttercream. It's just to hold all the layers together. And I think there was a lot of too much wetness in a lot of those cakes. And I have to say, uh, on the subject of Francis's made, Francis's this is made with all the white chocolate. I thought that sounded not like something I would have gone for. I thought that just sounded way too sickly sweet. So I'm not I'm not really surprised that they didn't like that one. I agree. She should have put something sharp in there if she wanted white chocolate. I'm a great white chocolate lover. If you'd gone pistachio sponge, white chocolate and a really sharp raspberry in there, it might have cut through it. I think she was trying to put some... Well, she did put some lemon in there, but I think the judging comments were that it wasn't sharp enough to cut through. Also, as you said, Paul was a bit, I mm, don't know, about the lavender, but then that didn't come through. So then he questioned, why was that in there? I just think the balance was off there. And yes, I definitely think Paul at the end, he said Ruby's was the best for taste and that was closer to a much more traditional opera cake. Quick little thing about people complaining about aromatics. Things like lavender and rose and saffron. Okay, I get that it might not be your cup of tea, but it can work really beautifully. And I'm sick and tired of, I mean, I know it's sort of, I mean, this happened 10 years ago now or whatever it was. But it, like every time that Paul's like, oh, I'm not sure about rose, got to be careful with this. I'm like, let them make the mistake first. Like, don't, do you know what I mean? Like, it can be delicious. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree with you. And I like the fact that she was putting lavender in and putting soap on the top because had she put rose or lavender in, it could have tasted quite Ooh. soapy, couldn't it, really? I thought it was, um, it would have been, if she'd been confident enough in front of Paul to go, well, I have called it a soap opera. Yes. But none of us would have done because we would have been called smart asses. <laughs> This was Francis's, it's getting harder to say. It is. Um, great British soap opera cake, white chocolate ganache, lemon and lavender flavours in there. Becca's was a banoffee opera cake, bananas and caramel in there, obviously, given the name. Kimberly's, as I think we've mentioned, was passion fruit and lime uh, with a lime jelly in there. And Ruby's was slightly more traditional chocolate, almond and saffron opera cake. Can we just talk about Mary's face? So, uh, so I don't know whether she'd had it. I don't know. I thought this week she looked as if she was so happy. Or, you know, she she was uh, bouncy and smiley. And she was, now really you say it. Yeah, she was so, so happy as if she'd had a uh, night or something. <laughs> Until the moment when Becca said, I'm doing a Bonoffi flavour. Oh, and if looks could kill, oh my goodness, it was like Medusa. It was, <laughs> I, I actually took a, I took a screenshot. I'll send it you through on our uh, WhatsApp group. <laughs> oh my goodness. I did notice the face visibly fall when she said she was using banana essence. Oh yes, I've got a copy of that picture. Oh she my goodness. Very, very oh, that's terrifying, <laughs> isn't it? Goodness me. Yes, let me... Let me know. I'm right. You're into stone with one glance. Oh goodness! Ooh. Sorry, Mary, if you're listening. That's so um. angry. Oh my goodness! And I don't think Becca's worked out too well for her, did it? Uh, they didn't get any of the banana, the fresh banana flavour. Clearly, wasn't strong enough, and the artificial banana was too artificial. Never use artificial banana. There are very few artificial flavours that work. To be honest. Can I bore you with a bit of trivia about banana essence, banana flavouring, um, which is that it's based on a type of banana that is now extinct. So the modern bananas don't even taste like that. So it's it's just a completely different flavour. Oh. You know, you get the, the oh. soft, squishy bananas that you get in the penny sweet shop when you're a kid. Um, and they taste sort of slightly yes. astringent. And like that's because the flavour is sort of based off a banana that's got wiped out and is now extinct. So um, it doesn't even really taste like actual banana anyway. But yeah, I thought that was a curious choice. Banoffee pie, great. But banoffee opera cake, I was like, how is that going to work? Because you have to have fresh banana. What makes the banoffee pie great, in my opinion, is the fresh banana. So you have to have sliced fresh banana all the way through it. And I just didn't see how that was going to work without becoming sort of slimy and and unstable. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I want to know. You could have made a lovely banana-y sponge, couldn't you? Which Did she? Yes, yeah. i tell you what's delicious, actually. If you caramelise some of those dried banana bits and make a lovely little crunchy banana caramelly treat for on the top, I just felt that right from the start... They were they were down on Becca. I I just thought right from the start they were. Um, Paul, is there going to be any texture? What is it about this blooming texture on on a, this cake? Not much flavour from the banana chips. I I just I thought they were down on her, and, and I well maybe I will have a go at making a banoffee opera cake because I think you can make it taste delicious. I liked the idea of her flavours more than I liked anybody else's, really. 
to be honest, I completely get what you're saying about slimy banana, so we don't put slices of banana in it. But why not? Why couldn't we have thin, very thin slices of banana in there? Maybe it would have worked. I don't know. I just can't imagine how I would get it to work. Or maybe, uh, maybe I'm aiming too low. Who knows, Jane? I think a bit of a Stilton in there as well. Yes. <laughs> and miso. <laughs> Jane, that is a challenge for you then. No, oh, there we go. Okay, I'll make up an offer at Opera Cake after I've done my Casino Royale. Or no, what is it? Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of Casino Royale. Yes. There you go. Do a Shield <laughs> Royale in the theme of James Bond. There you yeah. go. That's I, another challenge. I think that'd be lovely as long as we get James Bond along to taste it. Because <laughs> that would be very lovely. Because he is very delicious too. Well, somebody's I really like the uh, sound of was Kimberly's. I thought the... Uh, the passion fruit and lime uh, sounded really nice. And I am a massive fan of dark chocolate and lime. There's just something about the almost sweetness of the lime that goes really well with the dark chocolate. But that was something that Paul specifically called her out on as being out of balance. Yeah, with dark chocolate, it really does have a tendency to overpower anything you pair it with. You've got to be super, super careful. And I remember in my season, we had a chocolate melting ball dessert and the easiest chocolate to work with is obviously dark chocolate because it tempers a lot more easily and is more firm but it just killed anything you paired it with and you have to pair it with a really strong flavor and uh, i would have thought lime would have been sufficient actually i thought lime would have cut it um but obviously the balance was wrong she was right to use a good sharp flavor but i think either there wasn't enough sweetness with it or just not enough flavor but yeah a real shame for kimberly Um, although i have to say i hated the decoration she put the weird loops with truffles on top. I just, like, I didn't get it. Did not get it. Did anyone get that? I didn't get it. No, it had a little bit of a kind of Mr. Blobby feel. Yes! With the, yes! With the sparks, yeah. Did it? Did it? I just Maybe. did. I don't I'll, know. Often I'll look at things and think, well, that's not what I would have done, but it's interesting. But I just looked at that and thought, what? I, d- I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I don't think it's any crazier than some decorations we've seen on some things. Do you know my favourite decoration this week was actually just the fact that Francis managed to pipe the word opera in a reasonably attractive manner. And just did it so confidently as well. Yeah. Wonderful. That was my favourite moment of the episode. I was like, damn, because (laughs) I'm one of these people, when it comes to decorating, I'll like smooth everything out and make it all nice and neat. And then I'll add the final bit of decoration and I'm like, I've ruined it. Looks terrible now. Um, <laughs> so that would have been my moment on that. Just some horrible childlike scribble of opera. But she did it absolutely perfectly. I thought it was marvellous. I was so jealous. She did. Yeah, she did. But she just practised, didn't she? Practice she practised on a piece of paper first just to, to get the wrist flow going. Yeah. When you good, pipe but... with chocolate, you've got to take into account how fast the chocolate is falling. Otherwise, you end up with a wiggly ribbon. And I think that's what she was testing as well, seeing how quickly she had to write it to get it nice and smooth. I would have messed that up, guaranteed, 100%. Well, I've got, I liked the shot. One of my favourite things was uh, the, the, the shot of Ruby's apron. Because I yes! have from the final that looks very like that. Absolutely covered in whatever she'd been baking with. I thought it was a brilliant shot. I like the contrast between the sort of pristine denim jacket she had over the top of this absolutely filthy <laughs> apron. <laughs> the beautiful chocolate-coated apron. So that brings us to the end of this week's judging. And 
I think it was possibly kind of obvious who was going to be going and of course unfortunately that was Becca. She didn't have the best canapes, the judges weren't overly fond of that. She came third in the technical which I think in any other challenge would have been really good but considering there's only four in the tent that definitely put her down a couple of pegs and she didn't have particularly good comments in the final showstopper. I think awkward, thick layers, very sweet, I think very grainy, you know, words you don't want to hear at this stage. And she was obviously devastated to go at this late stage. So, yes, a very sad farewell to poor Becca. Also, it's a huge emotional release when you leave the tent. And I think it's not just about the fact that, you know, you're like some people think, oh, they're devastated to be going home. I think it's just also the end of a huge exertion. You know, it's the same reason that people will sort of burst into tears at the end of running a marathon or something. Do you know what I mean? It's just you're just exhausted. You've given everything. And uh, that's as far as you could go. And I did did feel for, for poor Becca. But I think Ruby was shocked to be staying. I thought from the edit, it was fairly obvious that Ruby was going to stay. But she obviously um, didn't believe it. Did you think it was the right decision, Jane? Yes, I did, actually. I think poor Becca really just didn't quite live up to her normal high standards this time. But maybe that is because the, certainly Francis and Kimberly are, I think you know, miles ahead in both the decoration, although Kimberly did have a little stumble, I thought, in the showstopper this week. Yeah, it had to be Becca. I mean, it's very difficult watching these series and thinking, oh, I wonder who's going to go, because we know. <laughs> and I don't know whether that clouds our judgment as we watch it. I knew who the three finalists were and and therefore was looking for the shortcomings in Becca's Bakes. Uh, and I think it's very hard to make her dispassionate decision knowing what we know but I'm sorry to see her go actually yeah I think I would like to have seen Becca stay but yeah it is what it is isn't it it's tough for anybody to go home at the end of the semi-final I think you've had that finishing line in sight for so long and then you stumble it's such a shame for anybody it is it really is but we do get to crown another star baker and this time it was Kimberly um, I believe her second star baker uh, so far which puts our three finalists at relatively even pegging going into our final so Howard I was just about to ask you who you think was gonna win but of course <laughs> of course we know do you think this is a well-deserved star baker for Kimberly I think it was a tricky one this week, wasn't it? Because I think it's one of those weeks where actually they they had to look back at, at both the signature bake and the technical challenge because nobody did particularly well in the show stuff. Yeah. So I think um, Kimberly clearly had done brilliantly in the technical and um, I, I think both Francis and, and Kimberly had done very well in the in the signature. So it's probably between those two. But yeah, definitely uh, Kimberly deserved it uh, basically on the basis of that exemplary Charlotte Royale. Yeah, possibly. Indeed. I think uh, if I was a teacher in this class, this would be the day that nobody won a fun-sized Mars bar. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we shall say thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for another episode of The Bakedown. 
Dan, Jane and Howard, thank you so much. It's been great as always. Hopefully, dear listeners, we will see some of you in Rosie's Savoury Canapes class for French Week on Sunday the 30th of April. And we shall see you next week for our final podcast episode of this series talking about our final with Francis, Kimberly and Ruby. And we will see you very soon. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye. heard a stripped media production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.